Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. narrow in on one verse today, verse 12. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Make sure we're there. I want you guys, if you can, to, to get there in your Bibles. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. If you've got a phone, you can look it up. So last, last Sunday, you know, the, the, the one thing I regret about last Sunday is that we had to be indoors, and therefore those that were able to attend was a limited number, uh, but I, I know that many watched online as well, but, but it was a really powerful time, and I believe that it really set something in motion, and, and I'm sharing that because in many ways what I want to talk about today is an extension of what God was beginning to put his finger on last week. And for those of you who weren't here, I just, just stay with me. This is really important for where we're going and as Pastor Crystal highlighted, the hour that we are in, um, I believe that we are living at a, in a very significant moment in history. I believe it's a significant moment on a, on a global level and especially on a national level. And the reason why that's important is because as the people of God, we have to be able to rightly discern the hour and the season and the moment that we are in in order that we can rightly respond to what is taking place. And when you hit certain seasons and moments and hours, what was working in previous seasons can't go on anymore. There has to be a shift when you hit certain seasons, certain divine moments. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 56, it was a scripture I highlighted last week in which Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And Jesus actually rebukes the crowd. And the reason why is he says, you guys are able to study clouds wind patterns, and you can discern earthly seasons, right? We can all do this ourselves. We know, although this day really has thrown us off a little bit, <laughs> but, but by and large, we can tell based on weather patterns, leaves falling. We know we're leaving summer. We're going into fall when we go into winter. Jesus says on a natural level, you can do that. But he rebuked them. He said, because you cannot understand the time that you're in right now. He uses the word time. He says, you're not interpreting the time that you're in. In other words, you understand the earthly season, but you're not recognizing the spiritual season that you're in. And as people of God, he was saying, you need to awaken to the moment. Now, he was specifically referring to himself, being that the Messiah was in their midst. But the point is, is that there are seasons, hours, divine moments that are different than normal time. And the Lord is asking us to discern this hour and respond differently in the church. So what, where we were last week is we said, we're in a psalm. I really felt the Lord stir in my heart and then fasting to find out other voices are, are speaking into this as well, that we're in a Psalm 2 crisis we were talking about. Do you remember that? If you watched, we're there. Meaning Psalm 2 is a prophetic word by David that said there's a time coming when the nations will rage, people will plot in vain. He says the kings of the earth will set themselves, the rulers will take counsel against who? Against the Lord's anointed, meaning Jesus. And actually, if you look in the book of Acts, they quoted Psalm 2. And in the book of Revelation, they quoted Psalm 2. Meaning, the bookends of Jesus' life, from his first coming to his second coming, would be marked by nations raging, by the kings of the earth trying to establish and set themselves against the Lord's anointed. In other words, those that hold high positions of influence, government, industries, businesses, they will come against the leadership of Jesus. And it says specifically the strategy will be to break off their cords, meaning they want to purge the word of God, uh, the, the society of the word of God. 
They see God's truth and his moral standard as bondage and preventing them from living in the fullness of what they, they think that they're called to. It limits their potential. And of course, that's completely, completely perverted. But the idea is that we're in a Psalm 2 crisis. And we share that when you're in a moment like this in an hour, you can't go about business as we've always have been. It requires a different response. Like we as a church have to be focused on some different things. And we said in a Psalm 2 crisis, the answer of the day is a fresh Acts 2 outpouring. But to have a fresh to Acts, pouring, uh, Acts 2 outpouring, we need to have a Joel 2 response. And that's where we were last week about God calling his people. Joel is the very scripture that Peter quoted in the book of Acts. But what had to happen first is he says the people have to rend their hearts, not their garments. He says it's time to come out of religion and come back and give me your whole heart. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. He says, sound, blow the trumpets, which means let the, the mouthpieces arise that begin to tell people to awaken, call my people to fast, and seek me. And when you do, when there's fresh seasons of us doing a Joel 2 thing, God says there will be fresh Acts 2 outpourings upon us. And right now, like, that's what we really need. We need the Lord's, like, touch in a mighty way upon this nation, upon this community, upon our lives. And, and so what you see is that when there's an intensification of crisis, there's an opportunity for revival in a beautiful way. It's the biblical pattern. It's church history. I mean, you can just look at a number of things. When it feels like things begin to really shake, it gives way for a unique opportunity for the glory of God to come. Hearts begin to get primed. And I believe we're in that type of hour, but it does not happen by us being passive agents. God says, I want, I want you to do something. I'll do my part, but you do yours. And we said it's a Joel 2 season. And there's another way to put it. It's a Hosea 10, 12 season. And so in many ways, what we were sharing last week, we're going to communicate it again in a fresh way with fresh language. But I so feel the Lord on this for this hour. That, that Hosea 10, 12 is the same thing of Joel 2. And if we actually take heed to what's here, we're going to see God raining down righteousness. So, so Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. This is an intense hour that Hosea is speaking in. It's an hour in which, listen guys, it's an hour in which conference calls about how to have the perfect blend of modern worship and old worship so you don't lose anyone goes out the window. <laughs> like it's a different season than that. It's an intense hour, intense moment, and therefore Hosea's message was intense. How many have ever read Hosea? It's got some beautiful language, but it is strong. God uses Hosea to marry this woman by the name of Gomer. Now, Gomer is a, we don't know exactly her lifestyle. Some say she lived a promiscuous lifestyle. We don't know exactly what she was doing before, but certainly when she came into covenant relationship with Hosea, she was prone to be unfaithful. She was prone to wander, and God would send Hosea to get her again and again and again. And you would say, what does a holy, righteous man have business doing with a woman who's so unfaithful, yet he keeps going after again and again? And God would ultimately say, Hosea, this is what it's like with my people. I'm like Hosea. Israel's like my people. And he says, I come after them again and again. And, and the people of God were in a place which they were forsaking their first love. And God was calling them out of waywardness. And in the midst of all of this intense language and, and pictures, God just drops this heavenly bomb in verse 12 where he begins to tell through the prophet Hosea, this is what the people need to do to be awakened and to respond rightly in the time that they are living in. And if the people of God do this, they will prepare their hearts for what I'm about to do. 
Like this is an hour, I believe, where God is saying we need to have soul cultivation and preparation for what it is the Lord is designed to do because nothing else, our schemes, our strategies, man's wisdom will not be enough to have any impact when you're in a season where the nations are raging and the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord's anointed. Like we desperately need God's touch. We need it in this community. And so let's read this together. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, this, just this one verse. In the midst of everything that's happening in this, here's what he says. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time. Everyone say time. It is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now what did Jesus say to the people of God when they were able to understand earthly seasons but not spiritual seasons? He says you can't interpret the time that you are living in. There's a present time that you are in and you're not understanding it. The time is, I believe, God is calling us to take personal inventory of our lives and our hearts in order to prepare ourselves for the righteousness that he's about to rain down. This is so crucial for where we're going today. When Jesus used the words, the word time, in that Luke 12 scripture, and he says, you don't know the time that you're in, there are two words in the Greek for time. There's chronos and there's kairos. Chronos is general time. Chronos can be mapped, measured, understood by looking at a calendar, a clock, your wristwatch, right? Like right now we're in a chronos time, right? It's just general time. Chronos time is always the same. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's always the same. But when Jesus speaks about interpreting the time, and what Hosea is emphasizing here about understanding the time to seek the Lord is not general time. It's not a chronos moment, it's kairos. And kairos is a divine appointed season or hour. It's a, it's, it's, it's a unique moment of which God says this time is different than other times. The, the, you need to have, you can't look at a map or, 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 or a, a clock, a calendar, and understand a kairos moment. You can't discern it that way. It has to be spiritually discerned. And in, the, in general time, it's all alike, but not on God's economy. There are certain hours and seasons that have more value than other seasons. Like we experience this on a natural level. If I have five minutes to share the gospel to an unsaved friend, that's a lot more valuable than five minutes to try to perfect an email that I'm sending out. There are certain seasons where it's like times of harvest where you've got to get up and get moving. And this is a kairos moment, a time that we are living on, living in. And when it says in Hosea, it is the time to seek the Lord, it's saying there's a unique window of opportunity that we are being presented with right now. The thing is, though, is that kairos moments do not re remain forever. They come and then they go. But within kairos moments, there's a unique grace built into them that if you respond rightly, stuff can start happening in this moment that we could never do outside of it. And so the Lord begins to speak through Hosea and says, tell the people it is the time to seek the Lord. It is the time to get serious about setting our face towards him. And when you do this, there's something available in this season that can have an, an eternal everlasting impact upon generations to come. And that's honestly where I believe in my heart where we're at. I believe we're in a Kairos moment. 
And God is looking for bodies that are discerning rightly, understanding the time and realizing the normal rhythms of life got to be broken up a little bit. And there has to be a different shift in the way that we're posturing our hearts. When Cairo's moments come, they always demand a response. Now, we don't have to respond, but when the Lord says, you know earthly seasons, but not the time you're in, he's not saying, now go about your business as normal. He's saying, so respond and engage based on the time that you are living in. Cairo's moments require a response, which means when you hit these certain divine seasons, you cannot go about business as usual. I love nice conferences, I do. I love festivals. I love a lot of the things that can come with the church life. But we're not in that hour, guys. We're just not in that season. Like, I believe the Lord is saying, if we open our eyes to spiritually discern, there's so much happening that God is saying, you can't go about the old things. Like, we don't need more polished preachers in this hour. We don't need to be perfectly mapping out our next 12 months of preaching schedules right now. Like, there's something that's got to shift in the season that we are in. And when we do, the Lord promises, Acts 2 outpouring, he promises in Hosea 10:12 to rain down righteousness upon us. I, 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 my fear is in my own heart that I've seen this from the beginning of COVID. I feel like it started to shift, but there was a time where I just wanted to get through this season. I just wanted to pass by, and the Lord says, not in Kairos moments. Not in moments. Your job is not to sit on the... Uh, back and just hopefully this passes back and you go back to the way things used to be. He's saying as a body, you've got to fully engage this moment right now. And if you do, there's great crisis, but there will be great glory. They'll go hand in hand. They often do. Paul talked about how when he was in Ephesus, he had great opposition, but all he saw great fruit as well. People tried to kill him, but at the same time, the spirit of God was poured out and the whole, whole city of Ephesus was being touched by it. So what is it that the Lord wants to do? It's the same thing we were sharing last week. Look at the back end of verse 12 at the very end. He says, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. This is the hour that we're living in. This is Acts 2, God pouring down, raining down his spirit in a fresh way. When we talk about God raining down his righteousness, guys, we're talking about something that is tangible we're talking about uh, where actual regions can be marked out where there's something distinct happening there where people will actually come because they can sense when they walk into that area, to that region, God is so breathing upon that place and upon that people. When God rains down righteousness, you're talking about everything that sin has marred and stained begins to be returned back to its original function and design. We're not talking about adding an extra service on a Sunday. That's great. We're not talking about the church down the road, all their people leaving and coming to our church. That's not God raining down righteousness. We're talking about his righteous reign beginning to wash out unrighteousness. We're talking about immorality beginning to be touched and people's hearts broken over the way they're living, knowing there's something more. We're talking about corruption coming to the surface. You're talking about drug homes being shut down because no one's using anymore. Prisons that begin to shut down. Pedophile rings begin to be exposed. Child sex trafficking begins to be exposed. When God's righteousness begins to rain down, this is what happens. There's too much going on for us to just continue to say, man, what's, you know, how do we retain first-time visitors? Lord's like, no, no, no. You've got to break up your fallow ground in this season. You've got to rend your hearts. And if you do, I will pour out afresh upon my people. Everything will begin to change. <laughs> I said it before, we need more than a Paul's preacher in this hour. We need more than charismatic gifting. 
that draws people in. We need, we need more than creative lyricists who can put out good and catchy songs. We need the righteousness of God to rain down upon us. And I believe God is saying, it is the time, it is the time, it is the time to seek me. And if you respond rightly, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm just, I'm stirred in my heart over, over this. But listen to me, this is so important. God has his part, we have our part. Look at the emphasis in this verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Break up your fallow ground. Now it's rooted in his perfect work by his spirit, but there's a partnership that needs to take place. God, you can't mix these two up. God says, I'll do my part and you do yours. You can't do mine, thank God, because we'll never be able to, but he says, but I'm also not going to do yours. See, what I feel like can happen is sometimes as Christians, we can get confused as, as to what we rest in and what we contend for. There are certain things and certain th uh, uh, places where we rest. My identity, I rest in the Lord. But there are certain places where God says, this you've got to contend for. And if we're not careful, we can rest falsely in the sovereignty of God saying, he's God, he's sovereign, I'm so broken, and if and when he wants to do it, he'll just do it. No, 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 that's not what this is saying. God says, no, no, your decisions matter. He says, here's what we'll do. You make decisions, I'll start honoring them. In fact, the measure of which you're walking in will be directly dependent on the decisions that you are making. Now is the season to sow for yourselves righteousness. It really matters, guys. It matters what we talk about behind the scenes. It matters how we spend our free time. It matters how we start our mornings. It matters what we're watching on the TV. It matters what we're dwelling on all day. God says, now is the hour. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Get your hearts ready for what I'm about to do. This is the season that we are in. And, and I'm not talking about, you can have as much of God as you want. That's a sobering statement that shakes me to the core when I feel like I'm dry. I'm saying, wait, if I can have as much as I want, then what's going on in my life? What needs to shift in my life? And listen, guys, I'm not talking about dead, empty religion. I'm not talking about you doing things to become righteous. That's not the gospel message. What I'm talking about is you recognizing that he who knew no sin became sin. Literally, he didn't just take it on. He identified himself with our sin. Everything we deserve was put on him so that what? So that we could become the righteousness of God. Therefore, sow for yourselves in this hour righteousness. Give him what he is worthy of. Let his sacrifice grip our hearts to say, I don't want this stuff anymore. It is the hour for the church to begin to arise and sow for themselves righteousness. Listen, what do we do? You ask God to begin to put his finger on things in your life that's stopping the flow of his life in yours. Begin to say, Lord, show me. And all of a sudden, let's just be out. We'll be watching a show and God will say, my son, my daughter, this thing's got to go. It's not good for you. This isn't to get beat up. It's to grow up in the Lord for what he wants to do. This thing's got to go. All of a sudden, we'll be in that relationship that is only rooted in gossiping about others, and it'll begin to happen, and God will say, no, 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 no more of this. And if this can't happen, if this can't change, then this relationship's got to go. Sow for yourselves righteousness in this hour. Prepare your hearts for what he wants to do. It's real practical. It's about making choices. <laughs> Making choices in this hour that God says, get ready for what I'm about to do. But here's the key right here is the fallow ground. Let's read it again together. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love 
break up your fallow ground. This is the rending your hearts, not just your garments. This is Joel 2 written in a fresh way to say, if you do this, if you give me your heart, I'm going to rain down righteousness upon your people, upon your life. What does it mean to break up your fallow ground? Hosea likens our hearts to the soil of the day. And fallow ground is that ground that has become hard. It's weathered. It's, it's weedy now. Fallow ground is soil that was useful in a previous season, but now needs to be tilled and broken up again in order to prepare itself for the season that is to come. And the Lord says it is an hour for fallow ground. What is he talking about? The stony hearts that have become cold to the things of God to be broken up freshly in this hour. What do I mean? It means God is saying, take the tiller of my word and the spirit and begin to apply it to your heart again. Get in my word, get in my presence. And when you do, you're going to feel a stoniness that begins to break up within you. And all of a sudden, your heart's going to begin to beat again for the things that I want. This is where revival starts. We can pray for nations to be touched, but we need to come out of religion. We need to come out of casualness. And God says, man, I've got something greater. But you've got to get honest and real, present your heart, and I'm going to begin to break up the hardness of it. I'm going to break up the stoniness. Like, I believe we're in an hour of fasting. I do, I do. I just, I just feel grace on it. Fasting, presenting our hearts where God is just softening it, guys. When we begin to, this is so important, when our fallow ground begins to break up, the hardness of heart, do you know what begins to take place? The Lord was speaking so strongly. Tears begin to flow again. Tears begin to flow. I believe the church has been absent of tears. Our hearts have been so hardened to the things of God, there's been no tears in the body of Christ. And God deeply responds when his people begin to weep and are moved by him again. And some of us have not shed a tear in many years because our hearts have gotten hardened. And God says, now is the hour. If you respond rightly, I'm going to touch your heart again. I'm not talking about tears of sadness. I'm not just talking about tears of emptiness. I'm not talking about tears of empty emotionalism. I'm not saying that you've got to fake a certain personality. And by the way, some say it's not for me because of their personality. No, no, no. This is a divine thing. When God begins to touch someone and he begins to awaken you and the hardness of heart begins to be shaken, you can't help but respond with tears to what he's doing. I'm talking about our hearts getting tender again to the things of God. Our hearts getting sensitive once again to the things of God. When's, beloved, when's the last time we got before the presence and because of his beauty we were so moved that the tears begin to flow down? If it hasn't, he says, now's the hour to break up the stony ground. His grace is available in this season. When's the last time when my life was out of alignment that I was broken over the things that I said, God, you purchased something more than this. Why am I staying in this, Lord? I want to come out of this. Like, our, but we were just wrecked by tears. I honestly believe that we're going to come in an hour where tears are going to become a mark of the body of Christ again. Tears of joy. Tears of repentance. Like, Tears of breakthrough, weeping for breakthrough. When is the last time we wept for breakthrough? Rather than just hardening our hearts to things God has promised and said, man, whatever, I'll just shove that down. We continue to press in and say, God, you said this. And once God sees the weeping, then he begins to respond. So he's going to break up fallow ground in our hearts to bring us into a season of weeping where we're tender and sensitive. And then God says, and when I see that, it so stirs my heart, I begin to release the very things that I promised.
man, we are in need of an hour. I believe in Long Island, like we need it. I heard of things of happening in the 70s of how God was moving. I, I just feel like the stoniness that is just on this island, God wants to break it up. We can't do it except position our hearts before the fiery flame of his presence and in his word, and he begins to soften it once more again and again and again. I can tell you my own life, I am in a personal danger zone when tears stop shedding from, from my eyes. Really, when I start getting around the things of God and I don't weep anymore, when people share testimonies and I walk in and leave and I'm unaffected, I've learned to say something is wrong in my heart right now. Something's wrong. Why isn't that moving me anymore? God wants to break hearts this morning in the most beautiful way. David Wilkerson said that the touch of God upon a man's life is marked by tears. How do you know God's doing something? You begin to see the person weep again before the Lord. And he says right there, I remember a teen challenge, certain students would be at the altar. And when I was a staff member, I wanted to run and go there. And Don Wilkerson said, no, let the Holy Spirit do his work in their life right now. Let them weep before the Lord. There's something beautiful that's taking place within them right now. Tears, tears begin to wage war in the pride of man. The stony heart is that position of, we, our hearts get hard and we say, I'm good. I've got this. Like, long, I just feel, as a whole, in general, we've become so content with our schemes and the things that we're doing, our hearts are not breaking because we feel like we've got it figured out. And, and the tears actually become a sign that we're being delivered from self-righteousness and self-dependency. We're getting to a place where we say, wow, if God doesn't intervene, man, we'll never see anything happen. We actually come to a place where we're so aware of our inability to produce anything without his intervention that our hearts begin to weep so deeply. It's a hunger and a dependency for God to come. If it sounds foreign as it, I feel it is in my own life too, I believe God's saying, but there's a grace. Don't worry, don't say it. it's not something you've got to force. As we respond, blow the trumpets, get in the prayer room, fast, seek his face, get in his word, start our mornings with him, finish our nights with him in our mind, you're going to watch a fire begins to come back in your soul. You're going to see yourself get real soft to the things of God again. The things of God again. This moves the heart of God. Do you know this is, what, this is what moves the heart of God? Joel 2. What is it saying, Joel 2? Return to me with all your heart. With what? With fasting and with weeping. Is, is God saying, I want you to get really sad? No, no, no. When, when weeping comes, it's a sign that our hearts have been soft again to him. You'll notice it over and over how weeping is such a sign of a heart that is alive and beating to God once more. And when this happens, when he sees that, it so stirs his heart that he moves and does the things that he's promised. I, I am so done <laughs> with the presentation within church that perfection, excellence, and beauty is the answer to the need of this hour. I want things to be done with excellence. I want there to be things that are, that are done well, of course, in order. I want there to be beauty. But guys, while we're trying to figure out how to perfect our follow-up system, God is over here saying, would you rend your heart? While, while we're trying to figure out how do we perfectly assimilate someone into our church, God is saying, would you break up your fallow ground? While we're busy trying to perfect in this idea of the spirit of excellence, we are so off in the very thing that God is calling us to do in this hour. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Break up your fallow ground. And God says, I'll begin to respond there. Do you know in Genesis chapter 21, 
when God moved upon Hagar and Ishmael. Do any of you know this story? Abraham got a little bit ahead of himself. He was promised a child with his wife, Sarah, but they didn't wait on the timing. And so Sarah said, look, I, I'm never gonna have it. God's never gonna do what he said. So here, take this, take this servant girl, Hagar, have a baby with her, and that's what he did, Ishmael. But once the baby came, Sarah's like, no, actually, I regret that decision, and sent her away. And it says in Genesis chapter 21, when Hagar and Ishmael were on their way, Hagar broke down because she thought they were gonna die. And it said she began to lift up her voice and she wept. Next verse, God came. God, when he sees that, when he sees a heart get touched like that, he can't control himself, I feel like. Not probably the best wording, but he's so moved by it. He's so stirred when he sees that type of response. And so God's grace enables us to have our stony hearts broken up. When we yield to what he's doing and we allow that to happen, our hearts get tender and we begin to come to a place of expressing tears of hunger, dependence, joy, it stirs God to move and do incredible things. Listen to Psalm 126. You don't need to turn there. I mean, you can if you want. I'm just gonna read it quick. I really felt stirred to just speak into like tears for a moment as we close because I believe it's gonna come a mark of, of, of this house right here because there's such hunger. There's such a recognition if God doesn't come in, we've got nothing. I just, Revelation, Revelation chapter five, I'll read Psalm 126 in a moment. Revelation chapter five, I've shared this text with you. Do you remember when, when the angel puts out the call, who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to open a scroll on heaven and earth? No one is worthy to open the scroll, right? Well, an elder tells John, look, the line of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He's worthy to open the scroll. There was an issue where no one was worthy to open God's scroll and administer its contents. John gets a revelation of who is worthy to open the scroll. What happened in between that led him to that revelation? John said when he heard the promise that he wept much. Weeping is a doorway into greater revelation with God. It's something about it where he responds to that. And when our hearts get broken over the hopelessness that if he doesn't intervene, nothing is going to change when God sees that. God leads us to see him in a clearer way. Psalm 126, verses 5 to 6. says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you know what that means? It means our tears are weaponized into seeds of faith. That's what that says. It says that our tears that we shed are actually, it's like seeds that we're sowing in faith. When you get to a place where words can't express anymore the hunger inside to see God do what he said he's going to do, or to just deal with the stony heart. When we get to that place, God releases a gift of tears. And when we begin to shed tears, God says it's like you're sowing by faith. These are seeds of faith. Psalm 56, 8, God says this. He's, David says, you put my tears in a bottle. You put my tears in a bottle. Do you know that God has a bottle? And it's not just random tears, it's your tears. It's the tears of your deepest desires, your deepest passions, your deepest pain. Pla places where no one saw you, no one heard you. You didn't even understand what was going on as you were just heaving before the Lord. And the Lord says, those tears, I've received them and I've collected them. 
and they forever live before me. And they're not just in a souvenir bottle that I keep under a couch or on a, 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 in a closet somewhere. He says, I keep them before me. They're seeds and catalysts. And at the right time, I go back to those tears and release them to bring about the fullness of my purpose in your life. Tears are so important. There's 25 different types of tears in the Bible. It's incredible. I haven't even cried 25 times in my life. I don't know. But, but listen, there's been a dryness in the church, meaning there's been a stoniness of heart. Fallow ground needs to be broken up because God's bringing us into something where righteousness is about to be rained down. Jeremiah, what was Jeremiah's name? The weeping prophet. This man's life was literally marked by tears. We could learn a lot from Jeremiah's day and what's going on in our hour. But what God was speaking to me is that the Lord desired in Jeremiah's day, as he does in this, this hour, to have his heart revealed to his people. He was looking for someone to carry his heart. And Jeremiah became this man that began to carry the heart of God. And he could not control himself but weep because he felt what God felt for what was happening. And God moved mightily in the life of Jeremiah. And it says this in verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 9. It says, oh, that my head were waters. This is Jeremiah. He prays for tears. <laughs> oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He says, God, give me your heart, and I want to carry it in this generation. God, give me the gift of tears. Don't let my heart get hardened to your promises. Don't let my heart get hardened to what you see, Lord. But when people see me, may they see a re revelation, a walking picture of how you feel, God. I believe God is going to, like, we're going to be coming to a Jeremiah season. And listen, I'm not talking about, like, this season of sadness. I'm talking about just joy, hunger, life, because we're so desperate for him. There's a story I, I want to, I'll just speak through it. I was going to take you there, but for time, I'll just speak through it. First Samuel chapter 1, how many know the story of Hannah? Hannah's an incredible story. If you don't know it, Hannah was barren. Now, this is a big deal in this life, but also especially in biblical culture. To be unable to produce a child, you were deemed as useless. You weren't able to do the very thing that people really placed on a woman's life, to be able to be a, 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 a give life. And so Hannah was unable. Now, her husband, Elkanah, he had another wife as well who was Penina. She could have kids. But Hannah could not. And so what it said is that Penina would provoke her year after year because of our inability to have a child. And it says in the first few verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1 that year after year, Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord. Some have said it could have been as many as 19 years. I've heard it some as low as, as 10 years. But somewhere in there, there was year after year after year after year, she would go up to the house of the Lord and nothing would change. And I believe that it's a picture because then one year something happened. But I believe what would happen, there's a picture here of, in our day, Hannah was doing the church thing. <laughs> Hannah was going up year after year after year to the house of the Lord, singing the songs, he loves me, he loves me, he's so good to me, but not willing to look at her own barrenness. <laughs> not willing to really enter in to that pain and say, wait a minute, something's off in my life, God. Why, if she has that breakthrough, why are you not doing this in my life? And so year after year, singing the songs, showing up. And then finally one year came where something shifted. And in verse 10, it says that she was deeply distressed. 
and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And that's what shifted it. She would eventually give birth to Samuel. Now check this out. Year after year, you know what the Lord said? The Lord said, I have shut up her womb. I shut her womb up. I opened it up. Why didn't he open it up in the first 19 years? I believe he was waiting for a response. He was waiting for Hannah to get to a place to say, I'm not going to just push this down. I'm not going to throw this aside. I'm not going to put a plastic smile on anymore and say it's all good. Lord, I want to see you move in my life. And the moment Hannah did this, God came. And do you want to know what's even crazier? <laughs> Is that the priest of the day was Eli. And when Eli saw a response like Hannah of weeping, travailing, and crying before God to move in her life and to bring life in her barren womb, Eli said, what in the world is this? This is, she's drunk. How foreign was this type of hunger? How foreign was this type of desperation for God within the people of God that when it happened, the highest religious authority of the day couldn't even recognize it? He said, what in the world is this? She's drunk. I promise you this, when the spirit of, of weeping, when the gift of tears is released in a body because there's such a hunger, there's such a joy, there's such a, just, man, overwhelmed and wrecked by who he is, many around will say, ah, this is drunk, this is going on. They won't understand it, guys. They won't understand it. But it's an hour that we're about to go in. Let me share one other scripture with you. We'll end here. Go to John chapter 11. I want you to see this. I believe, honestly, that, that some of us are, as a body, we're in this. And then individually, we're in process. We're in process. And I believe God is waiting for there to be such a hunger to say, I'm not going to move from the things you said. To the point there's travailing and weeping for these things. And he will give you a grace to do it. And I believe as we enter into this, God's going to rain down righteousness. He's going to do the things he promised in our life, individually and corporately. Let me open up here. John chapter 11. I want to actually read this. John chapter 11. Now this is the story. This is the story of Lazarus when he was resurrected. A lot of us know this. But a little bit bigger than that, it's really a story of what happens when Jesus shows up four days late. What happens when there's delayed promise in your life? And it really begins to reveal two different hearts of how they respond when God said, this is what I'm going to do. But now they're in a process and a journey of not seeing that thing come to pass. And you have two different individuals, Martha and Mary, who respond differently because of what's taking place. And I want you, you've got you to catch this. It's like Hannah all over again. Look, look at chapter 11, look at verse 2. It says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So Jesus got a report that Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So he gives the word of faith right from the beginning. He says, this thing is not going to end in death. He's not saying death can't happen, but he said it's not going to end there. I'm going to be glorified through this. And it actually says that he loved them much in the next verse. So because he loves them, he waits. <laughs> that doesn't sound like love sometimes. Now, Jesus, the moment he heard this, could have spoke a word and Lazarus could have come out of the tomb. But he intentionally waits four days. 
Why? I believe it's the same pattern we see in Hannah. He waits for a response from an individual that he then begins to partner with. He waits for a certain response that puts a zeal in his own heart, then he moves and it gives way to a platform for resurrection power. Two responses take place, Martha and Mary. Look at Martha. Look at verse 21. I'm just give you cliff notes here. Martha comes to see Jesus now. Lazarus is dead. Look at her words. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus would go on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Later on when they're ready to move the tomb away, Martha's like, no, 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 don't do that. He's going to smell. Revealing where she actually was in her heart. She really didn't believe it. She gave all the right scriptures to the Lord. She had the right Christian response, but actually her heart really didn't believe that God could do this. And I believe Jesus really wanted Martha to pull down resurrection power in the moment and not just give a surface level response. Like he wanted Martha to feel the moment. Like Jesus, I don't understand, like why is my brother dead? You said it wouldn't end like this, but I'm not going to just put it down. I'm not going to just sing the nice songs like, Lord, I'm broken over this. you got to move, God, or nothing is going to be able to change the situation. But she gives the right response. Like the Martha gives the right response. The Martha starts getting cynical in the waiting rather than really letting the fallow ground be broken up. And then we turn to the other response. We go down a little bit to verse 32. Verse 32. Now this is Mary's response, and look what it says. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, she fell at his feet, saying to him, listen to this, this is very interesting. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I never realized it was word for word what Martha said. Same exact response. In the encounter with Martha, Jesus walks away and says, where's your sister? Mary comes, falls at his feet, says, Lord, if you're here, my brother would not have died. And look at the very next verse. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, when Jesus saw her weeping, something shifted now. He said, wait a minute. Mary's not just giving me right response. He says, she's entering into this. She's not just showing up. She's not disengaging from the pain. Mary's saying, wait a minute, I'm broken over this, Lord, and I'm willing to give you my heart. I'm willing to trust in your leadership over my life. Why have I not seen this? Why is this happening? And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, guess what? He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What kind of response makes the Son of Man so moved that says he's deeply stirred in his heart? Same wording, but one began to weep, and he, when he saw that, he said, something gripped his heart. And look what he said in verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? When he saw Mary, and he saw Mary willing to get real and vulnerable and honest and it get a little messy and say, man, I'm going to just lay it before you, Lord, and start weeping at his feet, he said, where is he laid? A zeal began to rise up in the heart of Jesus, say, I'm going to make a move right here, right now. And then in verse 35, it gives us one of the greatest scriptures ever. It says that Jesus wept. Jesus began to weep when he saw one who was weeping for this breakthrough. And the Lord waited for a response like Mary to partner with. And then once that happened, 
it gave way to a man to be actually resurrected from the dead. The man actually came out of the tomb. A dead man walked out of a tomb. We were singing about that before, but did you, did you ever think about that? This isn't a parable. This wasn't a mirage. This wasn't I came out for a moment. Jesus, the son of man, walked on this earth. 2,000 years ago, a man was dead, wrapped in clothes. Jesus saw a woman who began to pray and began to weep over it, and he was moved by it, and he went to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. And a man, 2,000 years ago on this earth, came out of a tomb, wrapped in clothes in front of people like this. <laughs> and they said, take off his grave clothes. Like we need to be, we need to be Marys. We need to be Jeremiah's. We need the Lord to break up our fallow ground. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Are you guys following me? we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Oh, how we need you, Lord. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I really believe there's a grace in this moment right here in this hour, within the hour that we're in, for God to break up that stony ground. It's the rend your hearts that we were in last week. And this week it's break up the fallow ground. And the Lord is just putting his finger right here, guys. If we respond to this, the Lord said, I'll rain down righteousness. You'll experience Acts 2 outpouring freshly. And so we're going to worship. And I realize there's a lot that goes on out here. But for those of you that are able to, to
to stay and, and lock into what's happening, I would really invite you, because I believe there's a grace here to ask God, ask God, ask God to put his finger on things in your life right now. Like it, it, it's, it's all good if we hear something, we say we're stirred, but if we don't actually apply it, it doesn't matter. We can be hearers of the word, but if we're not doers, what, what good is it? And if we respond in this moment, I, I, I think you'll find that you may sense something right here, but if not, when you leave this place, you'll sense something different. Really, I think there's that type of grace here in this moment. And so whatever that looks like for you, you can, you can stay where you are, you can stand, you can ask for your neighbor to put hands on you and pray, you can come forth. I'll have Vicki and Don will come up here, we'll pray for people. If you just need to engage the Lord in worship, wherever it is, but I'm just gonna pray right now that God, by his spirit, before his presence right now, would even begin to touch hard hearts. And I'm saying not something to be worked up, but I even pray in this moment that God would release the gift of tears over people's lives. That God would begin to just speak to where there's places where there's been fake smiles and put a hunger back in our hearts. So Lord, I pray before we leave this place, Holy Spirit, you promise that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And so I pray, Lord, that you would release a hunger in this place. I pray, God, for a grace, a unique grace right now in this window right here. And I pray, Lord, that what you began last week, God, that you would continue this week. I pray hearts would be rent this morning. I pray fallow ground would be broken up. I pray, God, we'd feel a zeal to sow for ourselves righteousness. Lord, I pray that you begin to, you begin to give us a grace to carry your heart. Make us like Jeremiah's. Make us like Hannah. Make us like Mary. God, I pray that our body would be marked with tears of hunger and longing and joy. And that we would press in in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Don and Vicky can come up. And for those, if don't feel bad, if you need to leave, we bless you. If you have kids, you need to grab. But in the midst of all that, some movement, we're going to press into the Lord for a few minutes here. Yeah, we're not afraid to seize, Lord. We're going to respond to whatever your voice is saying to do right now, Lord. We're not just going to go through the motions. If the Lord is speaking to you, respond to him in this hour. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need your grace to even want to rend our hearts. I pray for those whose hearts have been so hardened to the things of God. It's not even intentional. It's just been gradual busyness and other pursuits have come in the way and it seems like years ago where they were actually moved by your voice by your ways by your acts that they were actually hungry for you 
Some it's been years since they've ever actually pushed away a plate of food because they were so hungry for the bread of life. Lord, we need to see this in this hour. Give us a hunger, Holy Spirit, for Jesus. Break it up, Lord. Make us tender to your ways again, Lord. Make us tender to your voice. Make us tender to your presence. Make us tender to your convictions, Lord. I pray for those that are in process right now of things that you've spoken. Lord, I pray that this would be an hour where they fully engage it and they would begin to respond with a heart that is tender, real, transparent, Lord. Lord, it would stir up a zeal in your heart. Listen, I love when people lay hands, but in the upper room, they were just sitting there when the Spirit of God fell. But their attention was on the Lord. They were responding. In your own words, engage the Lord. If you need someone next to you to pray for you, just do it. Tell them whatever the Lord's highlighting. I promise you, God is faithful to his word. He'll begin something right here.
Here's what I want you to do. If you're just next to someone, I just want you to link up with them for a moment. I know for some that may be uncomfortable, but that's okay. Sometimes we gotta step out a little bit. And I just want you to begin to pray for one another. If there's something on your heart that's happening in this moment, just share it. Let's get real, let's get vulnerable. Let's just begin to pray for one another. Na 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 